Hey guys, this is Liz Candace. This is Nikki Collins. What up, guys? This is Epic Starks. Hey, this is Imani Lee Stafford. Hey, this is Jordan Canada. This is Asia Wilson. Welcome to the WNBA Nation. What's up, WNBA Nation? So excited to be with all of you tonight. My name is Kyle Haywood, and I'm joined by my good friend today, Steve Schwartzman. Steve, it's been a while since you and I have been on mic together. How's it going? You know what? It's good. Um, I'm feeling good. My shoulders feel good, but apparently I don't need them. So yeah, <laughs> what are shoulders? Does but does it matter if you have shoulders or not? But otherwise, yeah, ready to talk more. Love about. it. <laughs> So we, uh, guys, we're gonna hop in and we're gonna talk about this, uh, the semifinals and everything that's going on with those series. But first, I think that it's important that we address uh, a couple of awards that were announced just barely. Um, so first of all, Bitnija Laney with the most improved player award out of Atlanta. She went from, um, not averaging more than five and a half points per game during her entire career to this season, averaging 17.2 points per game and, uh, just shy of five boards and four. And she's got four assists per game. Just an absolute phenomenal step up for her. Now, uh, I, I do think that she is probably the correct choice here. I don't think she's the only candidate in this area I thought that especially in a, a season with the bubble and a lot of your other players um you know not making the bubble trip I thought there were some other opportunities there but Steve I'm curious about your thoughts about Laney and uh winning most improved player in 2020 um I I mean I think it makes a lot of sense it's probably where I, I totally get where they leaned on that I think when you look at um the trajectory that or that Atlanta can be on like she's going to be an impetus to that. And a lot of that was shown in, in her ability to, to make quality of her minutes this year. If you were to ask my decision, my choice, mine might be weird to people um, because it's not necessarily someone that didn't play well. I just, I just think Jewel Lloyd went from being a third option to almost a top option in the matter of a season. And I think Seattle went from being, you know, potential top seed, even though they technically were second seed, to just a dominant force through her ability to find a rhythm offensively and just stick with it. And that's kind of where I, what I saw in it. And I get why anyone would not think that that's what makes any sense because she's been a quality, high-profile player for a long time. But as I looked through with Laney, when that announced came out, it just made a lot of sense to me. And I, you know... It just makes you more excited to see what the dream can put together. Oh, absolutely. I think that she's going to be a big part of this moving forward. Uh, it's her first season in Atlanta. For those of you who haven't followed her career much, this is actually her fifth season in the league and her fourth franchise that she's been a part of. She started in Chicago, went to Connecticut in 2018, was with Indiana last year, and finally has been here in Atlanta for 2020. Um, and it's good to see her finally be on a team where, where she can make some, some major headway. Um, it was really great to see. I mean, there were some other players as well. I, I think that, uh, Heinz Allen deserves, uh, a mention here with, with Washington stepping up and, and being a, an absolute force there where last totally. year she was, she was very, and it's not that she was overshadowed. I just think that when you have Elena Deladon, Emma Meesman, Chrissy Tolliver, you know, Natasha Cloud. As options, you're not going to Heinz Allen first. Yeah, and, and I she think... was she was very often a first option this season, which she did extremely well with that. And I think that she's probably earned herself a good chunk of money because whether yeah. it's Washington or another team, somebody's going to come after her in the next free agency uh, when she's available next in free agency. There's kind of two narratives when it comes to the most improved award. And I think one is like good players that became great. Right. And I think Heinz Allen was in that argument. And then there's kind of players who've almost hit the scene. The weird thing was mm. Natasha Howard was both when she won. Yeah. Um, because she went from, you know, not quite hitting the scene to being great. I mean, it was, a, it was a, quite a jump, but I think, yeah. uh, yeah, this kind of falls in that cast of, 
we all as fans and, and people covering the league know who Laney was, but um, for her to come in and be a key piece um, really showed that, you know, um, and there are a lot of players. I mean, you could throw the around. I feel like every year we've talked about the potential for like Leilani Mitchell to pull this one together. And if you just go off her playoff performance alone, you see why that's a good argument. Like, <laughs> yeah. um, that, you know, there's so much to, to dive into there, but yeah, I, I like the pick. I like the selection. I think, you know, I think it's exciting. And I, I, I feel like this, unfortunately, this decision might have been a little more universally supported than the other one for some reason. I think you know where I'm going with it, but yeah, yeah, I'd agree. <laughs> I think that, I think that's fair. Um, and speaking of, uh, Candace Parker with defensive player of the year, uh, in 2020. Now, if you were following on Twitter when this was announced, you saw one camp of and and kind of saw one group of people and how they interpreted this award very negative, uh, you know, saying that other players were robbed. And we'll discuss that in just a second. But um, also later on in the day, you know, a lot of the uh, Candace, you know, a lot of people coming in and kind of defending Candace Parker's position for you know, for how she has played and what she's done um, for her team on the defensive end of, of the, uh, of the ball, I think. Uh, so you're able to kind of see a lot of going back and forth on this. And I'm just curious, Steve, let's just take, let's, let's take a lot, any other like opinions out of this and let's just discuss numbers and impact on the court. Is she, is she deserving of the award when you compare her to, let's say, two of the other names that got brought up a lot today and that Logan and I have been bringing up in, in previous episodes of Alyssa Thomas and Alicia Clark? Where do you think, you know, do you think that Candace is still deserving of an award if you can, you know, look at her with those two also uh, under the lens? I'll, I'll say I walked into this expecting it to be Candace, and I think it should have been. And like, I, I mm-hmm. think this was 100%, you know, deserving. I think when you look at a lot of those other names that came up, you know, the Brianna Turners and whatnot, it, it makes sense. You know, I, I think if, if there was another player, I probably lean toward it probably was Alicia Clark, uh, especially given just the impact she had on a team who went to, you know, is, is making the run that they are. But there were a lot of people that for some reason were putting this decision on the idea of, and I guess, I guess we're going to talk about the discussion a little bit more. So maybe I'll cut myself off there. I'll say not only do the statistics support this decision, but the eye test, which is more important to me, definitely supports this. Cause what made the sparks a third seed, a team that had, that had a really strong run in the regular season this year was because of Candace Parker's ability to control the game under the basket and set a fluid defensive motion for a team so that they could use a large bevy of dangerous scorers to win basketball games. And this is uh, Candace has always been a great defensive player, but has never really been tacked on as a def- stat defensive, you know, that's never been her brand. Her brand has yeah. been her ability to score and for her to be able to step out and do that, especially in, in the scenario that everyone's in, it is extremely Impressive. I think the only tiny argument you can make against it, if I'm being real, is when you have someone like Brittany Sykes blocking shots next to you. Uh, you know, yeah. You know how defensively stout were you? But I mean, everything. Uh, I think every metric supports it. I think Logan even brought that up, saying that he thought maybe Brittany Sykes was actually the best defensive player on her, the Sparks. You know, uh, and, and I think that there's some, there's, you could take, especially individual plays, you could take that into consideration. I have, but I, I have a really weird take on that, by the way. And that's yeah. to say, I get the argument, because obviously Sykes was phenomenal defensively this year. I think that is less of an argument or like less of a glaring thing to even bring up. If Sykes's blocks were half as dope as they were, that's the thing is the individual <laughs> plays were just so stellar. It wasn't yeah. the fact that she was like that. She just had blocks. It's that it's the type that she, you know, the if, way that she was doing it. Like was if I only so made impressive. two shots a night, but they were both from half court, like 
you'd have it in your mind like Steve's a great scorer. Like that could happen. Yeah. He's and, a shooter. Yeah. And this wasn't even to say that that that's in the guise of me maybe not being a good offensive player. It's like he's a great defensive player. It just so happened that I think it's buoyed up by the fact that she might be the most exciting shot blocker of the season. Yeah, I which is crazy, you know, yeah. considering some of the great shot blockers that we have in the league. Um I think that I think that there's a lot of people. I, I do think that Alyssa Thomas, just based on effort, defense comes down to effort a lot of mm-hmm. times. And obviously, anytime you're going to discuss someone like Alyssa Thomas, effort is, you know, everything with her. She's, as we saw tonight, and we're going to talk about tonight, you know, she just is. Uh, we even were mentioning, like, there might not be a, a player in the league that you would, like, least want to fight than Alyssa Thomas just oh, because yeah. you're like you might you might get you might get some swings in but you'll never win because she just won't stop right like she's just so uh she's such like an <laughs> energizer bunny and like just effort 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 you, like never stops going and if you need absolute uh proof of that you have to see Matt Ellen Tuck's tweet of of Alyssa Thomas in the post game presser yeah, with just a giant sack she of ice on her. Yeah. She looks like she just got like she just walked out of the octagon against Amanda Nunes. Like, yeah. like just just tough as just she's just awesome. She rules. We're yeah, gonna talk so, so much more Alyssa Thomas later, but exactly. And so I think that you can look at things like well on defense, it really comes down to effort so so frequently. So I get that. I think Alicia Clark has been in the discussion for, for defensive play in the of the year for like probably four seasons straight. Mm-hmm. And I bet I I I would suspect that she's probably been like runner up in most people's minds. And I feel and I I understand if you're uh if you're a, a Storm fan or if you're an Alicia Clark fan or if you're just a fan of basketball and you appreciate the defense that she plays, I can get the frustration of mm-hmm. seeing her being a top level defender and never winning that defensive player of the year. I understand that frustration. I don't think that. Candace is undeserving of the award just because uh, just because Alyssa Thomas and Alicia Clark are, are, you know, every bit as deserving or up there, you know, at least are close to to deserving of this. I don't think it takes away from what Candace did on the floor this season. She really, really played phenomenal defense and um, just I mean, just across the board in her statistics and what she was able to do on the court defensively just speaks for itself. And so I had a really, I had a hard time. I, I, I tried to be understanding with people's, you know, I guess their vitriol on Twitter of saying like, Oh, you know, Clark was robbed or it should have been Alyssa Thomas or like, and I, I get that, especially if you're a fan of, of those teams, I've been in that situation where the player that I loved didn't win an award that I thought that they deserved. And, you know, for, for one way reason or another, I, I understand that, and I and I've been in that situation, so I, I I get that. I just felt like it was a little stronger because, mm-hmm. and and you, we can even mention this. Do you think that if this wasn't Candace Parker winning the award, that it it would have been less of an uproar? Do you think because it was Candace Parker, it was more people were more vocal about this? I think. That assumption is a hundred percent correct, specifically to Candace Parker. Um, I don't want to take too much time on this rant. I think there's a strange aversion to Candace amongst a, a strong part of the WNBA fan community. That's confusing to me. Maybe I don't have a lot of context behind this. I also could be misguided. That's happened before. I don't know exactly what it is, but I think that there definitely is this grand swell of people that for some reason have just chosen. We're not going to like this player. And we're going to just tout them as overrated. And that is how it's going to be. And I don't know if it's her attitude, you know, her, her general cadence and attitude. I don't know if it's that she has a general affinity to the NBA and in covering it. So I don't know if it's because it's UConn fans who are still heartbroken that she put the hurt on their team throughout the late two thousands. I don't know. Uh, but I get that sense, and I think sometimes that's what leads to it in this case. And it adds to that because when you go down the bevy of the defensive players of the year through history, Natasha Howard and Alana Beard, totally deserving, probably aren't in this same echelon. 
You then go Brittany Griner, you then go Sylvia Fowles, you then go Tamika Catchings, you then go Lisa Leslie, then Lauren Jackson, then Cheryl Swoops, then Yolanda Griffith, then Teresa Witherspoon. It tends to go to the stars. Right. Like, it tends to do that. But were we throwing those same fits when Sylvia Fowles was winning this award? When Griner was winning this award? When Cheryl Swoops won the award three times? Was this a, a frustration point for people? Back then, or were we willing to accept it? And I think a part of it is because every sports league has those individuals that catch this groundswell ire. And sometimes they make a lot of sense. Um, hence all the Houston Astros. And sometimes it just kind of got created in the ether. And maybe I'm wrong. I totally could be. But that's kind of where I've gotten with that out of candidness. And if anything, I, you know, I walked in with a strong respect for her and I walked out with a lot more because again, I, I her brand, she, you know, she's not known firsthand as, as the defense, as the defense, if anything, that's probably would have been NECA on that team. Uh, you know, obviously it would have been Alana in years past and she took on that role and she took it on fantastically and made an MVP argument for herself in so doing. Um, so that's my feeling. That's my budding theory. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But I can't think of another reason why people would be so. Uh, you're a big Storm fan. I get it. Big Phoenix fan. I get it. Big Sun fan. I get it. Other than that, I don't fully understand how it boiled down to that. Yeah. I think it seemed like it wasn't just fan bases of those particular teams, but it seemed as a whole, there was a little more to it. Now, to be fair, on the other side of the coin, there was a lot of people coming to, uh, you know, to, to team Candace that were saying, listen, like you guys are being ridiculous. She's very well deserving of this award. Um, and there were a lot of people coming on that, coming to that side of the, of the, table i get that and so yeah. i just don't want to when your lunch break that. was because it did feel yeah, like exactly. there was like a, a, a wave and then a, a wave and mm -hmm. it just the conversation shifted and i wonder if it's just like oh man i you know i, I went and got subway and all of a sudden this happened um yeah better respond yeah so that yeah so uh but I, yeah I, I i think that there could be some to that now i, I would love uh i we i know we have a lot of our listeners who are yukon fans we love yukon we want to hear from you guys. Would you just tweet us or even if you want to DM us, hit us up on Twitter at WNBA Nation Pod. I just, we're, I, I, I want to know if your frustration with her winning defensive player of the year, like really like introspectively look in and is it because maybe historically you've just had this distaste for Candace Parker? And do you think that that could play a role in that? Um, because I, I, I do think that obviously a lot of women's basketball fans, are come from, you know, UConn, you, you know, that have an affinity for UConn basketball. We have a, have an affinity for UConn basketball because of who they are. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, we're just, you know, and we, it's not that we don't necessarily have a, an allegiance to UConn or Tennessee or Notre Dame or, or, you know, any of these other South Carolina, you know, any of these other programs, we, we're kind of looking at this from, an outsider's perspective looking in. We would love to hear from UConn fans, Tennessee fans, if if we, you really do think that history between those two schools played a part in in some of the attitudes that came out with, with Candace winning this award. I, we're just curious. We'd love to have that discussion. Yeah. If you want to have that discussion privately in a direct message, go for it. That'd be that'd be awesome. Um I do have to bring this up because I think it's interesting and I don't know that this would generally uh lead to why this discussion is what it is. I, I just it might just be a fun thing to bring up. But who knows? A lot of people have L.A. team bias. Maybe that's part of it. I think one interesting yeah. thing about this is this actually uh, officially makes the the Sparks the home of the most offensive players of the year. Um, hmm. They were tied for first. Now they stand alone for first. Do you want to take a quick guess? The Sparks are first. Who who now is second? Who was tied for first up until today? Um, Without let's looking. see. Just thinking back. I know Swoops won it several times, so I could I could see Houston if I'm just just trying off the top of my head. Maybe Houston. Um, um man, there's a couple other teams that I could. <laughs> did did Catchings win it multiple? She's won it. Mm -hmm. Like did Catch did is Indiana in that in that running? I'm curious. Well, uh, that's my guess is Houston or Indiana. Here's the answer. Number one now is the Sparks. Number two is Tamika Catchings. 
Sparks have five and Catch has four. Okay, I was going to say, I knew Swoops had won it multiple times. I know that that Catchings had won it multiple times. I didn't know how many of those had gone back So technically, the Sparks are tied with the Liberty, but really it was was Catch. Catch catch has four, (laughs) which is insane. That's... It's funny because people have had the argument with Candace today on, like, you That's guys impressive not- for the Fever yeah. to have, like, you know, a, a team that yeah. it was interesting has, has so much not of- enjoyed a lot of success since Catching's yeah. left. You know, yeah. hang your hat on. You had the Catching seasons. Yeah. It's so interesting because <laughs> so much of people's counter argument uh, from the dissent people gave to Candace was like, you guys uh, are going to miss her when she's gone. Like, you do not appreciate greatness while you're looking at it. I don't know if we 100% appreciated Tamika Ketchings as much as we probably should have. Uh, maybe we I will. Would agree when with we, when we finally can have a Hall of Fame ceremony, maybe we will a little bit more. Um, but man, four, four defense players of the year. But I, gosh, this, this isn't the Ketchings cast, but maybe there will be one soon. So, I, I don't know. Have we ever done any sort of chronicling of history in the league before? I don't know if that's our brand. I mean, that would be interesting if we had done something like a something like a a history of the W, like a W history type thing. That would be really interesting if we really, yeah. you know, locked into something like a Tamika Catchings maybe. career. Would be would be maybe interesting. If, maybe, maybe for if an you off sit season. Tight when the season ends, maybe it'll come <laughs> soon to a, to a pair of AirPods near you. Uh, we'll see about that. But Love no. it. Congrats! Congrats Sweet. to the to lady. Congrats to, to Candice. Yeah, absolutely. Lana, Laney and Parker, congrats on your awards. We're gonna do a, another recap at the full end of the season, taking a look back at our predictions. We're, we'll we'll revisit our predictions episodes and and kind of take a look once we have like a champion, right? Once we have all of that done, we'll we'll take a look at our predictions and see where everything lined up. But um, speaking of getting a champion, let's. Talk playoffs, Steve. These games that have been happening Ooh, have been buddy. absolutely bonkers, with the weird exception of uh, not having a game um, between <laughs> between Seattle and Minnesota in, when they were supposed to have game one. But hey, um, <laughs> right now we have two teams that are one win away from a finals appearance. And another team that's just, you know, that, that's one game behind uh, we've got, let's, let's jump in first. Well, let's go let's in the thing. order that they played today. Let's talk Seattle and Minnesota. Um, let's do it. Seattle's up two nothing in the series. However, today looked a little like they were in control a little bit more, but even then Minnesota, despite the really rough, uh, last couple minutes of the first half where they fell behind, um, they still were within striking distance yeah. right up until the last few minutes of the game. This was a six-point um, game heading into the fourth. I yeah, mean, exactly. I think the final which score doesn't consider how doesn't close reflect. This game actually yeah, exactly. And I think that when you play a team like Seattle, that as we've seen throughout the regular season, can just run away on a team and win by thirty or forty without blinking an eye, after, and and still sit your starters for you know like 15 minutes of the game <laughs> uh, to, to have Minnesota still within striking distance. I mean, and there was a lot of things that didn't go right for them. Uh, a few bounces that went the wrong way, Collier and foul trouble. Um, just kind of a, it, it was, a, it, what was crazy is Minnesota played, in my opinion, other than Dauntus played a pretty rough game and still found themselves within striking distance. And they should, maybe not should have, they were, like literal seconds away from winning the other night. Uh, mm-hmm. They were an Alicia Clark buzzer beater from heading into overtime. Um, so, I mean, just a, a tight, tight game there. Are you, are you surprised at, uh, I, I don't know if anybody would be surprised that, that Seattle would be up to nothing, but are you surprised at maybe the closeness that these games have been played between Seattle and Minnesota? Not necessarily, and I think it's because they both have similar brands that make them successful, which is to say we use our defense to put us in control, and then, you know, our best scoring option is our next open shooter type of situation. And I think it's right. I think they both bring that style of things, and obviously we we continue to talk about 
how Cheryl Reeves is in the Mount Rushmore of basketball coaches, uh, full stop. And I think that adds to it. That's on top of they they consistently find a way to have players pull their way into the front burner discussion. Dantas was a huge example of that tonight in dropping 23 and keeping the team in it. And so that didn't necessarily shock me at all. Um, I, I think it's a tough case in just that. Well, I don't even know. I, it, it's one of those cases where I, I think for Minnesota to win in this series, they need to be playing at a hundred. And I don't know yeah. that the storm necessarily have to. I don't know if they need to go more than 88, 89 to pull well, this off, just given their depth. To to be fair, the storm haven't played phenomenally and are and up to haven't. nothing. Yeah. But I think they're up to nothing and they haven't played yeah. they haven't played great basketball. We haven't they haven't even touched what we were even seeing from them in during the regular yeah. season just, and they still are up to nothing. There's few teams that can afford a weird margin of error with that. Yeah. Um, you know, they can come in with some of their key players. Uh, you know, three of their key players, Jordan Cannon, Alicia Clark, Tasha Howard, all of negative plus minus on this night. Like, yeah. if you can afford that many, like, key role players to, not even role players, but, you know, stout members of your team, two of your starters are involved there, and then your sixth, um, to, to be playing under that scope and still win by 10, you know, it's just a, it's a luxury not every team has, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, from the field they they play they shot pretty well from the field, but they they really struggled from the three point line, um, and I think that uh, you know Minnesota shot shot you know pretty uh, pretty significantly better behind the arc than than Seattle did, and still Seattle was well in control of this game, mm-hmm. um, and so I don't know I I think that. I love being able to look and see that, you know, Minnesota, I don't think is out, uh, by any sense of the war of of the word, but I think they're going to have to play nearly perfect in order to, you know, win a game or two and, and, and maybe send this to a game five. Um, they're gonna have to play nearly perfect and hope that Seattle doesn't also play perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I just think that when you have a team with the, the, level of talent that Seattle has in 2020, you can't, you can't make mistakes. You know, you, you can't, um, you can't struggle and get into foul trouble. Um, you know, like, like we saw with Collier, you know, I think that that having her off the, off the court for, for periods of time really hurt them and, you know, trying to get her back in when you can, it disrupts your flow. Um, you know, and that's also a credit to Seattle for being able to recognize Collier was getting into foul trouble and, and kind of going at her. Yeah, I and, think. And making that a part of the game. That's part of the game. That's part of the the mentality that you have to have is, okay, where is the one weak point of their yeah. of their game tonight? And let's exploit that. I think the two honest stats that show the disparity here that make the most sense. I, first of all, uh, the Storm just completely dominating on on the defensive boards. Uh, much better on yeah. the defensive side, rebounding on that end. The other side of it being, for you to potentially pull off a win anywhere in this series, you need Nafisa Collier playing at least 30 minutes. So her playing 28 minutes is pretty disparaging when you consider that Clark, Lloyd, and Stewart all played 30-plus minutes. Um, mm. and, and, they're, you know, and it's that idea of like, if that was the same situation with Seattle, if if Stewie has six less minutes in this game, that that might just be enough to swing this result. And yeah, so I mean, foul it, trouble play because I think you need a very consistent. You need you need thirty minimum. I think thirty three yeah. minutes out of Collier in order to in I order to make this work. Twenty and seven is is very key at this point for for someone like Collier. Uh, for this team to really get the flow that they know they're capable of uh, to make happen. Um, but I mean, on top of that, you're looking at Dangerfield went three for 10. And I think Dangerfield he, shooting wise did not play great yeah. basketball. And tonight. she went two for four from distance. Uh, she did. Yeah, oh, I mean, three. she, she, she dropped seven assists, only had two yeah. turnovers being the primary, primary, you know, ball handler and distributor. Like she, she had a decent game. 
But I think, yeah, her shooting was off, and then Odyssey Sims seemed to also be off tonight, and yeah. you know, seemed that she had and, a hard t- hard time holding on to the ball. And you could say, that, you know, obviously Collier would be nice to have assisted minutes, but I mean, he also went five for fourteen. She had the most attempts uh, on the roster, yeah. still in five for fourteen, only shot thirty five percent from the field. This was certainly an off night in that sense, and a lot of that you can obviously give to the Seattle, Seattle's yeah. size and ability to disrupt shots. But at the same time, this is a team that has been able to to put shots down, especially under the basket, and I think they have that in them. I think this is a team where, while it's a 10-point swing, I think it's a few percentages here and there that suddenly turn these turn this into uh, a much more competitive thing. I would not I, – I, I don't know that I put the heaviest amount of stock in this suddenly being a Seattle sweep. Seattle hasn't shown me enough to say that there should be lock and key – on this series just okay. yet. So let me, let me, let me, uh, let me ask that question then. If does, does Seattle lock up this series next game? Do they, do they finish off the sweep? If so, what percentage of confidence do you have in that? Are you, are you buying into Seattle taking the sweep in and heading into the finals with a potential of a couple games rest? If the other series extends. My confidence, like if you wanted me to give a percentage, I'm probably yeah. going to go 40%. Okay. Um, you're giving, this is obviously running on a Sunday, so you have the rare third day. <laughs> you know, you get two full days of rest, which obviously helps Seattle as well, but I think will help on the adjustment and for Minnesota. Obviously, you're going to have that classic desperation fighting, you know, fighting for your basketball lives. Um, They'll be a little bit separated from... Honestly, Minnesota taking on a lot of a little bit additional emotional toll with everything that's gone in recently uh, right. across the league, just with, you know, um, I, I believe it was uh, Collier, you know, who read out the formal you know statement on there were no charge for policemen based on the murder of Breonna Taylor. That uh, that also adds to this and adds that impetus that when you you have to be that person who stands in that stage and then suddenly you have to turn right around and play a basketball game it can be tough. Um, and by the way, I don't want to say that as like some sort of excuse for playing basketball that showed right, absolute right. strength and moxie and needed to be done. And that fight has to continue. Um, I think it just comes down to that's a hard mindset shift and everyone was in that mindset. It just adds a little more when you're the person standing with the microphone in your hand. Um, that said, that's where I'm at right now. As I think Minnesota has a chance to put it together. I think they know that this is their one opportunity. It has to be because if they lose, they're out. Um, so I expect to see that. I expect to see them to be a little more aggressive offensively to try to find their way to the hole. Um, and we'll have to see. And the heart, the, the difficulty thing with this too is that, you know, if I'm Seattle, I don't quite know if I'm going to get out of Jewel Lloyd tonight, what, I, you know, every, what she got every single night. Right. I don't mm-hmm. know if, if she's going to be uh, going to be able to drop that necessary 20 points, which is a huge get in a swing for you. And if, and if Seattle comes in less than red hot, you know, from mid range beyond and Minnesota knows that if they can disrupt just a little bit down low and it keeps them competitive, that puts them in a pretty good position. So there's a lot of factors. I, but this was a really long and disjointed response to say, if you want me to give a percentage, I'd say 40%. Okay. I like that. And I respect that take. I, I, I'm, I'm a little more confident in Seattle wrapping things up. I think that, I think that maybe part of the, of, of what really turned to this series was an Alicia Clark buzzer beater. I think that if Minnesota steals that game one, I think this goes to five. Um, but I think with a heartbreaker loss and then coming back in and, you know, struggling and, and just kind of fighting through, I don't know if Minnesota, Cheryl Reeve, please don't come after me. I don't know if Minnesota just can continue to fight um, against what feels like uh, the basketball, the WNBA equivalent of Goliath this season. Um and I think that that's not a knock on Minnesota. That's not a knock on their organization. It's not a knock on, on their, their coaching staff at all. I think it's just, I mean, Seattle's full of veterans. 
Minnesota's got a lot of young players, and Seattle on paper has more talent, you know, and I just think that uh, Minnesota, you know, if you if you were to bring Lexi Brown, Sylvia Fowles, you know, kind of back into the mix here, yeah, I, I think that's a better, that's a better, um, you might have a better chance, but I also look at, like, the Storm were in control for the majority of this game, and Brianna Stewart actually didn't play a great offensive game. I mean, she, she took care of, of the, of rebounding. She had seven assists, um, but she had, she had, I think, yeah, uh, three turnovers and went zero for seven from three. Um, didn't have an especially great game for someone who and- was second, you know, who, who was, who was right there in MVP voting. And, and for the majority of the season was the front runner for the MVP. If you can, if if you're winning the game and your top player is having that kind of a game, you're just very good. Danny, you're <laughs> so probably I, I think right. That's, <laughs> I just realized, I, it just hit me looking at the stat sheet that Seattle very easily turned the ball over more than Minnesota did and still won this by ten. Yeah, they didn't. Have, uh, that's what's scary right, about yeah. Seattle is they like I, like I said earlier, they didn't play a great game. And just felt like in the in the driver's seat. If they go in and just say, "Hey, let's lock this up today," Stewie goes off. Jem continues to to be what she's been in the playoffs so far. And then you still got, I mean, then you got Natasha Howard, Alicia Clark, Sue Bird, Jordan Canada. Like you've got a solid just roster there that that I think head to head matchups I think favor Seattle almost across the board here. And I think that. Uh, I think that's just going to be too much possibly for Minnesota to overcome um, in a game three, you know, winner go or yeah, winner go home type of scenario. I think Seattle wraps this up and I'd, I'd probably say that like a 75 to 80% chance in my opinion. But uh, anyway, <laughs> let's chat about uh, the, <laughs> I feel bad that uh, I'm just so hyped right now on Connecticut and Aly- Alyssa Thomas. This is an actually this is actually a phenomenal series going on between Connecticut and Las Vegas. This is I wonder I, I would love to see the stats on they've played three games. I want to know the amount of lead changes that they've had in three games because it has to be just nuts. <laughs> I feel like neither team really takes charge of of the games until the last couple minutes of these games, but um, Connecticut, if game one, Connecticut absolutely ran Las Vegas off the court. Las Vegas looked lost, looked like they weren't ready at all for the playoffs. Connecticut won 87 to 62. That's a massive margin in a playoff series, especially in some at the level of like the semifinals game two, Las Vegas counter punches 83 to 75 starts to look the part of a number one seed. And then tonight, I, I'd have to double check this. I believe there was something like 14 or 15 lead changes and like 14 ties in the game before Connecticut pulled away at the end. It was it, just, just two, two just dogs going after it, you know, um, head to head. So I'm curious, Steve, where you lie with, with this matchup. Connecticut's up two to one. They only need to win one more game. Um, what are your thoughts on, on this series? Just give me your overall, your overall take here. Uh, so are we, are we waiting on the confidence thing? Or yeah, well, let's pull off on the confidence. Let's just, let's just share some general, bit. general thoughts. Yeah. I think I'll just come out with it and put it this way. The Connecticut Sun have been far and away the best team in the playoffs. It's not of these four teams. They have been by a wide margin, the best roster, uh, during this series and, and throughout the entire playoffs, I don't think I'd agree. it's close. I'd agree. I have two main feelings on that, and, and one is to say um, that that obviously speaks to Kurt Billerstrings. It speaks to how efficient the their starting players have been because there seems to have been a different person stepping up on a nightly basis, which is pretty incredible. I think the other side of it, and I don't want to take too long on this because this is probably more an argument to have after the season's end, it does speak just a little bit about the need for the WNBA to transition back into a traditional playoff structure mm. because I can't help but feel like a part of this is also that you let a Las Vegas team 
sit in sit on the couch for eight days, you know, you know or however many days before. I, th- I think I think that totally played a role and in the fact allowed that Connecticut, Connecticut had played, to get their wheels oiled and yeah, they'd played two two playoff games to that point, and then Las Vegas had been sitting and watching. And Connecticut came out firing in that game yeah. one. I agree. I think, I think you do that that the was, classic that was one big. through eight, or you do a sixteen structure where you have the back four do a play in game, and then do like a four team playoff structure. Maybe um, I think that speaks for it, and I think it being in something akin to the bubble shows that a little bit more now than it ever has before. Because since we've done this, we've pretty much seen the one and two seeds find their way into the finals, and so now this this changes that narrative. A tiny bit when you look at where what Connecticut can potentially pull off. Um, that said, that's not what this game was about at all. <laughs> this game is about the Connecticut Sun being a phenomenally talented team, beating a talented Las Vegas team, because this thing went down to the wire, and Connecticut found a way to pull away within the last like minute and a half <laughs> or something. Like was yeah. it, this was a three point game with like less than two minutes to go. With like yeah, it was a I it was a three I mentioned it was a three point game. Las Vegas had the ball down three with like yeah, like one minute left. And it managed to become a nine point deficit. Like it's not even close to indicative to how this turned out. And I think a lot of this came out of the fact that um there are so many things that I can't do that Alyssa Thomas can do. And both my labrums are functioning. <laughs> and I think this is about the fact that life isn't fair. And some humans just aren't human. And that, that's the story of Liz Thomas. We started the show talking about how apparently you don't need shoulders. Um, we were both dumbfounded, beyond shocked, that she was even going to play tonight. Yeah, when she was announced as a starter on Twitter, I was like, what? Like, like I didn't, I did cool. not anticipate that at all. Yeah, and and to come out and have tw- to, to twenty three, twelve, and four with three steals, uh, to shoot ten, ten for twenty one, so nearly fifty percent from the field, um, just absolutely, she played all of one minute and fourteen seconds. Yeah. And with a with a well, her shoulder last popping season, out of her socket two nights before. Yeah, and last season, do you remember during the? I I can't remember if it, if she came out of a game during the finals last year. I think she went all five games forty minutes. Yeah, I may be wrong on that. I I could double check, but it was something like that. I think that's that she may have come out minutes. like that's nuts and here's the thing she's had shoulder problems for years now this isn't new but to have major shoulder issues with torn labrums and then to have your shoulder pop out of socket throw Which, it back in and then come in and drop 23 and 12 with four assists and three steals Which, she's that's that's a that's a that's an above adds, human feat yeah, this adds to the other side rant of like the w's got to figure their crap out because one of the main reasons this is happening is she hasn't really been able to have an official surgery. She has to immediately jump on a plane to go to Europe uh, yeah. to take care of herself. And there's she no system where she's protected care of herself, so that yeah. she can get her shoulders figured out. And then this happens. And I think it's just there's something uh, about the chemistry in her brain where she says, I can deal with the pain. Because you can't sit here and tell me. She just simply felt great that her shoulder felt perfectly fine. There absolutely had been. Have you ever dislocated anything for Kyle? Yeah. Yeah. It's the worst. You and you feel it <laughs> for weeks. That soreness. Yeah, it's not something that just, that just goes away. Like you pop it back in. Oh, I'm good to go. That soreness and that tenderness, it's, it can go for weeks. And that's like if you pull like your finger, your knuckle, your shoulder, like, it's yeah, absolutely insane. This honestly, it very much reminds me of you know Elena Deldon, you know, playing with with a messed up back and and playing at an MVP level to win a championship. This is the same type of scenario where this is the situation she's put in. She played phenomenally. That of course is on top of having three players in double digits for rebounds. Um, mm. with between her, between Brianna, between Dewana Bonner, twelve, ten, ten. Uh, so yet again, uh, they scream really well on the boards. That's to say Vegas has the equi- the exact equivalent on, on board. So both teams rebounded really well. Um, but you have three players dropping double doubles in one night. 
on top of every night there being someone who steps up and does something phenomenal, you go back to it's that same old consistent every single player, especially in that starting five in Connecticut, knows what they need to put in to be successful. And they figured it out. And somehow the 10 and 12 seventh seed Connecticut Sun are the most lethal team in the playoffs right now. <laughs> it's bonkers. It's 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 crazy to imagine. But here's the thing. I'm I'm surprised on the one hand and totally unsurprised on the other because as we were t- discussing teams in our preseason episodes and as we were talking about stuff coming up, Connecticut was on our radar. I mean, anytime that yeah, you dropped out and you weren't able to, you know, John Quill Jones wasn't going to be with you, but a lot of teams were going to be missing some some power this year. And you added Dewana Bonner to help kind of shore some of that up. Um, you know, and you've got January. And like you've got some really solid players. That's on top of the fact of, you know, Alyssa and Jasmine Thomas being really solid players and uh uh Heidemann has been really great all season long. She hasn't played a whole lot. Uh, she didn't play a whole lot tonight, but you've got some talent on your roster and like they were on our radar. Like in my, I think some of us had them pretty high, maybe like a top three or four team in the league this season. I, when the, when the Bonner move happened, I had, I called them winning it. I had, I predicted the Connecticut Sun taking right, it. and that was that was before we knew that John Quill was wasn't going to be there. Yeah. But and also still. it was also pre Courtney Williams moving to Atlanta. Like there were a couple things right. that happened, but you looked but at a team that was, and I can't emphasize this enough: the Connect, the twenty nineteen mi- Connecticut minutes Sun away from were a ten minutes away from a championship, possibly even mm-hmm. less. That's how close they were, and then they added one of the most dynamic players in the entire league to join their starting five. I mean. You know, it literally took a pandemic to keep them from reaching their highest level. I yeah. mean, that's what's crazy yeah. is we might see them in the play in the finals for a second straight season, and they aren't going to be at their highest level this year. They're yeah. gonna, they're going to be a fi- they could be a finals team missing their uh, who was almost an MVP last season in John Quill Jones. That to me is so impressive. And now, the, the reason why they're yeah. a seven seed, as everybody can remember. And, and also, by the way, this is adding on a potentially healthy Teresa Plaisance, a potentially healthy yeah. Bria Holmes, a potentially healthy Essence Carson. This is a stupid deep roster when it needs to be. Yeah. They, yeah, it's. Kalina Mosquito Lewis played they one minute of it. Yeah. And one she's, of the most skilled yeah, shooters in the entire league played a, a minute and 23 <laughs> seconds. A team like Connecticut, but here's the thing: when you start off zero and five in an extremely abbreviated season, you're going to have this. But as we saw, Connecticut turned it around and really was coming on strong throughout the the mid season, um, the mid to late season. They looked as good as anyone not named Seattle or Las Vegas. I mean, they were right there, and. To have them now be in this, I, 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 uh, seed wise, they don't belong. But talent wise and the level that they're playing at, I think they belong in the finals. We've talked a lot about Connecticut. I, I want to touch on, on Las Vegas, Las Vegas. Las Vegas really put together a really solid game two in this series. And I think that. It sounds like we may be counting them out. I am in no way counting Las Vegas out in this series because I think that Las Vegas has a ton of talent on their roster as well, um, including current reigning MVP Asia Wilson. Um, I'm curious, what's your take with with Las Vegas? Why why are they down to nothing? Is it is it because Connecticut's that good, or are we seeing some struggles in Las Vegas in Game One and Game Three? that can be remedied maybe in a game four and five scenario. I personally feel like there are a few uh, pieces that would help this team. You got to keep in mind, like considering it was a 22 game season and, and not a 34 game season, this is the deepest we've seen Vegas more or less. I mean, they did play in the semis last time. So I guess it's not so much an excuse, but I think there is a semblance of fatigue coming mm. out of their end. 
uh, especially when you consider a lot of the players that they haven't been able to utilize were players that very much took on that role. Kelsey Plum was so much the physical pulse of this squad last year uh, mm-hmm. and and kind of helped keep them at tempo. You could say that about Lindsay Allen. Obviously, not having Liz Cambage is not having Liz Cambage. So I think that plays a role with it itself. Um, I don't know if Angel McCautry has completely figured out what her full-on fit in this situation is. Uh, I think we saw those same struggles early on with, with Skylar Diggins, Smith and Phoenix. Like where does, you know, where, where am I putting this peg? And while she's played well and and she, you know, she dropped 14 and seven tonight. So she's done well. I don't know that it quite fits in that potential. You know, I think there's a lot of questions that need answering. Um, You can definitely sense a bit of disjointedness. We heard that in game one. Uh, right. with Bill, you know, with Bill Lambeer's, uh response to Asia on the bench, you know, we heard that sound clip. I think there's a lot that plays to that, but I think the other side of it is it helps that this is also a Sun team that probably caught them off guard. They play a very different brand of basketball as them. They probably were I, expecting I think the, the a Phoenix matchups team. Are, yeah, yeah. I think the matchups don't play well for for Las Vegas. I think they this, were expecting a Phoenix team who would play at a similar tempo and who they could have that kind of a dogfight with. And they've had to figure out how to adjust to a very different tempo for Connecticut that's sized very differently than what they were expecting to play up against. And it's 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 kind of shown its colors. Experience, obviously, is going to be a huge role there. You're looking at a very veteran Connecticut team. And I think adds to that as well. Um, yeah, I think there are a lot of questions with Vegas where it just feels like Vegas and Chicago were two extreme darling teams coming into the season. We saw Chicago's – you could say the wheels fell off. I think a lot of that went with not mm-hmm. having Diamond to Shields at your disposal. I meant Chicago. Right, Sorry. right, right. Um, uh, you know, with not having Diamond there, you know, kind of really derailed Chicago over time. And I think with the Aces, we're seeing a little bit of that wear and tear at this point. And at the same time, it's just you're also just pairing up against a team that's peaking at the exact right moment. And and that stuff's responsive. <laughs> so I agree with you. By the way, uh, this is a team no, that could I, easily turn those Jets around, and on Sunday they could they may very comfortably turn this into a five game series. Like that's there's no, you know, I possible. I agree with you. In fact, I I thought it seemed like there was a little bit of fatigue with uh, Las Vegas, it, which makes me chuckle because we also are looking at you know if if we say wear and tear wear and tear and fatigue with Las Vegas Alyssa Thomas just turns around and goes yeah and I'm going to still I'm still going to take them out right like here's, here's the just the way though. that she's going wear and yeah. tear is frustrating on a car like when you hear wear and tear you think no oh, this car may not drive fully a car can have a flat out dent in it and still run perfectly fine <laughs> yeah like she's got a dented it's shoulder true. but she could still go i think wear and tear is almost a different <laughs> Completely different argument. Well, it's simply playing with the, one arm. Here's the thing. I think the X factor for Las Vegas is Angel McCotry. You hit the nail on the head there. She was she only played half the game. She was in foul trouble a ton tonight and only played half the game and just never seemed to to get in a full rhythm and still put up, as you said, fourteen and seven rebounds plus three assists. Like she didn't have a bad game. She just wasn't on the court. She wasn't able to mm-hmm. to make as much of a difference. And where Connecticut really seemed to strive was if McCautry's not out there, you really have to focus on Wilson and McBride. McBride did not play well. Went one for seven from the field, two turnovers, didn't have a great game. And if you really boil the Las Vegas Aces down to Asia has to beat us, and you and us happens to be Connecticut, that's going to play very, very well for you. So I think that when Angel's not, uh, when if an Angel can find a way to be on the court more, it's going to open things wide up for Asia and Kayla McBride, and they're going to be able to, to get a little bit more going yep. there. Um, and so I think, I think she really was a, a big difference in tonight's game, at yeah. least. I, I, that being said, I think that this could easily. I would not be surprised at all if Las Vegas comes back, yeah. wins the, wins two games, and and advances to the to the finals if, to face either Minnesota or Seattle. If I'm Bill Lambeer, 
I turn to the team and I say, listen, we got game four on Sunday. You've got two days in between that. Obviously, we're going to practice. We're going to do drills. I want all of you to sleep in tomorrow. I want all of you to sleep in Saturday. Get a little extra rest. Clear your mind and relax your body a little bit because tension is also a big thing that's hurting us. Because I think one of the yeah. biggest swings against this team is that Vegas out- turned the ball over. Uh, the the disparity for turnovers was fifteen to four Oof. from Vegas to Connecticut, respectively. Um, and I think that plays a role. I think when frustrations happen and you sense that tension, that's when you start to make those mistakes. And if they're playing a little crisper, if they're finding their passing lanes more efficiently, this is a team that can find themselves in a double digit lead on you very quickly. Uh, and I think have very much have that potential. Pent- but also with the reigning MVP, I mean, that's that's very much within that argument. Um, and to me, I think that's kind of the idea is like, clear your head, relax a little bit. We know how to do this. Let's go do this, you know, and and, and play the game. We know how to play it. So. Um, no, I yeah. agree. So. That's uh, so yeah, let me ahead. so let me. Yeah, let me ask you this. Uh, based on this discussion. We we talked about the the two win Seattle team and our confidence in them sealing the deal with this next game. Um, let's take two win Connecticut if we're gonna play if we're gonna play it the same exact way. Two win Connecticut. How confident are you that they take Game Four and advance to the WNBA Finals? So we talked about Seattle having you know pound for pound the deepest roster in the league, and and I gave them what forty percent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I, you know, it's been a long time since I've been consistently on the show. Maybe I just it's important for me to have fun and get some discussion going. Connecticut, I like it. Connected fans are just going to hate me for this. Three letters, man. O-V-A. The series is over. Ooh. Over. I'm giving Connecticut. Uh, I'm going to give them an 80% confidence that I got them closing this out. Really? Yeah. So you think Las Vegas is down? You think Las Vegas is gone after after Game Four? I think I I see it in my mind happening because just no team has the momentum that Connecticut does right now. You're giving them an extra day of rest, which is only going to potentially play into their hands. True. Um, but I don't think I've had a prediction all year that's been correct. So who <laughs> the heaven knows. So- Hence the why Connecticut fans are going to be upset with you for picking this. Exactly. Right? <laughs> They're going to hate me for this because I, I just, I just feel like this thing's over. Um, but you know, obviously Vegas is the top seed for a reason, but it, I just, I just totally see this up. You know, it's really funny. Something that I was thinking about mathematically in a traditional playoff system, a one seven matchup is impossible. Yeah, it's true. Like you, you never would see it. It's funny you, never see. You it. wouldn't see it until you wouldn't see it until a, uh, yeah, until a semis, right? Like a or until a, a, or until a final. If you were doing a yeah. sixteen team, if you're doing just an eight team bracket, it's not possible because the seven would play the two in a traditional setting. Right, sixteen. It, the other seven has to make it all the way through to you, and then like in a final four yeah. bracket, it would be yeah. So this this actually in a tr- in a traditional setting would be impossible. So maybe that's a part of it is you know matchups we wouldn't normally get to see. Um, I um, I feel this pretty strongly going to Connecticut's edge, um, but I'm I'm not going to stay up late at night uh, dumbfounded if Vegas worrying about off. it. Yeah. I I think I'm going to trend the other way. I think that I like Las Vegas coming back in game four. Probably should. Cause you're probably um, right. No. <laughs> and I'm not saying that. I know that we've kind of gone opposite a little bit in our predictions on, on each of these these next games. But I'm not doing that just for, for argument's sake. I think that I think that you bring up some good points, which can we just say like shows the amount of talent and the amount of depth that this league has being able to have these four teams, one of them being a seven seed and you and I still can't decide who's going to win, you know, who's going to, who's going to advance or the likelihood of someone advancing after the next game or, or clinching a series. Um, I, I really think that Las Vegas has more fight in them than we saw tonight. Um, I I really now as I say that I feel like Alyssa Thomas is going to break down my front door without any shoulders and just come you know 
Like, did you see what I did tonight? You saying I'm not going to do that again next game? Um, that being said, I, I really do think that Las Vegas, the Las Vegas that we've seen this year is, can be the best team in the league. They can be that number one seed. They have it for a reason. I really think that they're going to turn it around. And unless there's some behind the scenes stuff, which I know today's, uh, today's had plenty of behind the scenes news in other organizations, but Mm -hmm. I, unless there's some major behind the scenes stuff going on with Las Vegas, I think, I think that they've got a real potential to come back in and, and take game four and force this into a, a five game series. I'm, I'm going to put Connecticut sealing the deal um, actually about where you had Seattle. I'm going to have it. I'm not saying it's improbable, but I'm only going to put it at about 40%. I think Las Vegas is slightly more likely to win game four than Connecticut, in my opinion. So that's where I sit. Yeah. (laughs) Which uh, give me, uh, let's, if we discuss this for 10 more minutes, I might change my mind. And so that's where I'm at it at 11 51 PM mountain standard time on uh, September 24th. So, um, (laughs) guys, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, Steve, uh, let's, let's chat just a little bit as far as we want to hear your takes, you know, whether it's uh, most improved defensive player of the year, we want to hear your takes there. Um, where do you, where do you see these series going as, as things reach, uh, a potential to for for two different teams to clinch on Sunday. Where do you see this going? Reach out to us, Steve. Where's the best way that people can get in contact with us? Uh, find us over at Twitter at WMA Nation Pod. You of course can find the WMA Nation page. WMA Nation page get together, Steve. Over on Facebook uh, of this similar name. A great way to connect with us and and help us holistically and not just topically uh, is anywhere your podcast can be found. If you've got a comment or rating section, we'd love a five-star rating and a comment. Let us know what we can do uh, to make the show more fulfilling for you at any time. And, of course, we're continuing to to source content and discussion over on our Patreon. We've got some great kickbacks for, for different donations. As the season comes to a close, we'll be rolling out some additional audio content for you to enjoy there, too. The show should be a lot of fun. So, yeah, lots of places to come and find us. We absolutely want to hear from you uh, because it, if it wasn't if it wasn't for you, this wouldn't be this certainly wouldn't be what it is. Um, absolutely. I mean, Jason makes the shirts. He's the reason for the shirts. But you guys are the reason for everything else. <laughs> oh, and our story uh, me page. Buy some dope shirts on the story me page and the proceeds for those go directly to efforts to help uh, new fans of women's sports get to uh, events for the first time, which will probably kick off more so. In years to we come, we may have to we may have to look at doing some more that we you know for our top tier uh, people we purchase tickets to a WNBA game or if you aren't in an area where you can attend a WNBA game we'll hook you up with a with some tickets to go to your a local uh, college game a, a college women's basketball game of your choice and we can we can work that out for the our, those top tier uh, top tier level. Um, I, I do want to give a quick shout out to our most recent five star review. Yes, um, from Kirk Kirk Vams three uh, says, "Thank you for such great content. Love hearing WNBA info and insight. Appreciate that. Thank you so much for that five star review. Um, so if you have ten seconds and you haven't had a chance to to do that on our Apple Podcasts page, pause right now." Just click five stars. It takes two seconds. Click five stars. If you want to write a review as well, we'd love that. Um, but we always want to shout those out anytime we get those new um, uh, five-star ratings and reviews. We want to give a shout-out to that. Um, it's been awesome uh, to see the growth uh, that we're getting there, the growth in our downloads, which means that we're just getting into the ears of more and more people and allowing more people to understand how absolutely phenomenal the WNBA is. Um, and you know what? We're not uh, we're, we're not competitive with the other podcasts. Go go check them out as well. There's some other really really great podcasts, blogs, uh, newsletters. Um, I'm subscribed to several other other uh, WNBA content producers that are are putting out some some great stuff there as well. So feel free to go check them out. I think any any chance that you have to go do that and support the league um, is a is a great opportunity to help grow the listener base and the viewership. Um, and therefore the, the fan base of, uh, of the WNBA and women's basketball across the board. 
Uh, but, uh, Steve, anything else that we need to cover before we wrap things up for the you night? You know, I do have one really quick thing. I know one thing we try to pride ourselves on is supporting and, and, uh, calling out women's athletics across the board, whether it be basketball, soccer, whatever it be. Unfortunately, yeah, we fell in an Olympic year. We weren't able to see, uh, you know, Olympic sports, but there are some still going on, which is why, and this is a, a less than fun thing, but I, I think it's important that we send our, our positive vibes uh, over to Chloe Dagger. Chloe Dagger is an Olympic cyclist. Um, she's five to 10 time, I believe across her career, world champion in time trial and individual pursuit, reigning silver medalist, world record holder was primed to be an Olympic gold medalist and, and such in this year's Olympics. Uh, she's racing in the world championships in Italy, uh, well-paced to win the event and took, uh, honestly a very horrific, uh, turn. Mm. Um, I didn't advise you there's video of it. I advise you not to look it up. It's pretty harrowing. Um, but essentially she, she took a wide turn, looked like there's a malfunction with her bike. She ended up going over the guardrail, um, essentially down, down a hill in an overpass, um, on this wide turn. I mean, if you look at it, it legitimately looked like she nearly fell off like a cliff or something. Um, she received a horrific, I mean, just a, a really intense laceration to her leg, had to receive surgery. Um, so there's going to be a long haul for her. It does sound like there is going to be a full recovery, uh, but it was definitely a scary thing, especially for people in the cycling world and, and fans of the sport uh, to see someone who's, who's been really uh, um, a mainstay and a, a huge name in the sport over the last couple of years. So, Obviously, it's something we have our eyes on throughout women's sports in general and, and just want to send our well wishes and our positive vibes over to, to Chloe and her team and her family. And we hope that she has a, a strong recovery and that we can see her dominating on the roads again. Uh, I don't think there was a trajectory in her recovery. Who knows if maybe potentially we have a shot at seeing her in the 2021 Olympics in Tokyo, but if not, we at least hope to see her her back inside pretty soon. So I just thought I'd make that call out. That was a scary thing that it, that bubbled up on Twitter. I thought I'd bring it up. So absolutely, yes. Uh, well, everybody, thank you for tuning in again. Uh, hit subscribe. Check us out on Twitter. Hit us up there at WNBA Nation Pod. Uh, but for WNBA Nation, I'm Kyle Haywood. I'm Logan Jones. <laughs> I wanted to see uh, if I could get it through. <laughs> but Steve, thanks for joining us uh and we got you guys next we got you next time. <laughs>